Welcome to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. Yes, we're live from the Boss Talk Radio Studios in Plant City, Florida. My name is Chip DeBlock, and I'm your host. I'm going to go ahead and uh, introduce the crew to you. But guys, we are a law enforcement talk show that talks about today's news and issues, but we do it from a law enforcement perspective. So our goal is to make you guys among the smartest people in the room when anything is going down news related from the Leo perspective. So uh, our, our, our guest today, panelist today, we have uh, retired recently, very recently retired Lieutenant Jessica Taylor uh, from the Seattle Police Department. And guess what? Our first story is from Seattle. That's right. We also have uh, Sergeant Jamie Borden with Critical Incident Review. More information about them, but he's out there in the uh, in the Las Vegas area. So thanks for uh, being on the show, Jamie, as well. A shout out to our sponsors. We have Motion DSP, Gauls, GlobalOrdinance.com, Gunler.com, MyMedicare.Live, and we're fueled by Bang Energy. Matter of fact, I'm drinking the original. It is the uh, sweet iced tea from Bang. So thanks, Bang, for the fuel. Appreciate that. And shout out to Brian Burns for the free press at Tampa F p.com thanks for carrying our content and also ray dietrich of red voice media you know we're streaming the eight locations right now no youtube is not one of those but three of those belong to red voice media and those three facebook pages alone have about a million followers so thanks to ray dietrich and red voice media for helping make that happen so guys yesterday's show i said that we were going to have a goals 50 dollars gift card giveaway and i completely my apologies forgot to run the contest so if you're interested and registering for that free $50 Gauls gift card, go ahead and do that now If you're by watching the stream. If you're one of the people at those eight locations, all you have to do is type in the word Gauls, G-A-L-L-S, and I will, and, and guys, don't feel, don't be bashful or shy. Remind me on the message. Producer Jimmy's going to remind me to run the contest before the show ends, and we will give away a $50 gift card. I'll only need you to get your email address after we announce the winner. So type in Gauls, G-A-L-L-S, if you're watching the live stream, and we'll see that in the comment section. So, guys, that takes us to our first story. No main topic today, you know, because we have got a bunch of really great stories. I should I should be careful of saying the word great because there's some unfortunate stuff that goes on in some of these. But our very first one, it's at our favorite law enforcement video channel. It's at rumble.com. The name of the channel is called This is Butter. Seattle officers captured on body cam saying a woman struck by another cop, quote, had limited value, unquote. Well, there's um, the, initially... Uh, he said she was in a crosswalk. Uh, there's a witness that says, no, she wasn't. But that witness could be different because I don't think she was thrown 40 feet either. Uh, I think she went up on the hood, hit the windshield. Then when he hit the brakes, flew off the car. But she is dead. <laughs> no, it's a regular person. Yeah. Yeah, just write a check. Just Yeah. What eleven thousand dollars. She was twenty six anyway. She had limited value. Not the ideal situation to be in when you have an open mic. Um, especially when it's got the possibility of getting out there to the public and going virtual, right? Going viral. Um, so new body cam footage released by the Seattle police department on Monday afternoon, detailed remarks an officer made about another officer whose cruiser ended up killing this woman in a collision that happened back in January. Seattle police officer, he's traveling about 74 miles an hour just before his police cruiser struck and killed, uh, Jonavi Kandula. She's only 23 years old. And this happened in an intersection in January. So the officer has not been charged with a crime, but he's responding to an emergency call. He was in a 25-mile-per-hour zone at the time of the collision. 
Now, the pedestrian, Candula, she had the right-of-way and was struck by the cruiser at approximately 63 miles an hour. So again, 25-mile-an-hour zone. He's going 63, but he was going to emergency call. So in the body cam footage that was published on Monday, another officer who was not involved in the collision was captured in the video um, saying, but she is dead. And then he laughed on the phone afterwards. Now, um, here's another quote saying she was 26 anyway. She had limited value. That was also said. Now, police said the department employee um, identified in the body cam video, or I, I guess they, um, well, they didn't identify him, but they, they said this guy um, was, they were notified by someone else that saw the video and they became concerned about it. So the Office of Police Accountability is investigating the footage. So they're still in the middle of, a, of an investigation on this thing. And, and I realized that the incident happened in January. But here's a quote from the op, from the uh, investigation uh, organization here, the IA equivalent, recognizing the public concern about this video, SPD, you know, Seattle Police Department, is putting out this video in the interest of transparency, but consistent with city law, SPD reserves any comment on the substance pending the completion of the OPA's investigation. So they're kind of getting that out there. Um, I, I hope it doesn't slant the investigation or determine the outcome, but it's hard to believe it won't. The officer was responding to a priority one call, the request of the Seattle Fire Department. According to the report, the officer was responding to a drug overdose. I'm suspect that those are pretty common, uh, commonplace today. According to the report, the officer did not have a siren activated continuously. Um, he was chirping the siren at intersections when he arrived. He did have his emergency lights on, according to uh, the police department. At the time of the collision, our pedestrian, Kendula, was wearing a black jacket, black pants, white shoes. So she may have had Apple AirPods in both ears as well, which, of course, she wouldn't have been able to hear the siren chirping if she was. She was about 18 feet into the crosswalk uh, when she was hit. So I, elsewhere in the report, it said that because of the vehicle speed, she didn't have time to um, to even take evasive action on the on the incoming cruiser. So that's what we have, uh, of course. Just by luck, uh, Jessica happens to have been recently retired from the Seattle Police Department as a lieutenant. So uh, would love to hear um, your input on this as well, Jessica. So, guys, that's it. Um, take the floor, Jessica. Well, I've been up all night because I knew that this was going to come up. Um, and I, the accident is under investigation uh, so the accident portion of it is not even um, what I want to talk about today. And I don't work there. And I only saw what everybody else saw, which is just that one snippet of the video from um, Dan Otter. But I will say this. I will read what I wrote on LinkedIn right now. And um, I'm just absolutely disgusted and you know you can send me hate mail whatever i don't care but this is what i said i said my heart aches as i write this for the tragic death of Devahani kandula is a loss that weighs heavily on my soul i feel compelled to speak out unapologetically for the truth is the truth and i only know what i know just like the rest of you and what I do know is that the news of her fatal encounter with an officer and what occurred afterwards is one of the most heartless things I've ever heard in my life. I understand that I've only seen a small snippet of the video and heard just one half of the conversation, but even with that limited knowledge, what I heard was absolutely disgusting. Using my discernment, the explanation offered doesn't make much sense at all. Is a pain that cuts deep and knowing that there is such insensitivity 
that exists in this world. To Japani's family and friends, my heart goes out to you. I want you to know that you have my deepest sympathies. The callousness displayed in the video brought me to tears, literally. It's true that cops and firefighters often use dark humor to cope with the trauma that they face, but I would strongly argue that that is not what transpired here. This was just callous and cruel and reflects poorly on SPD. I cannot begin to imagine the pain of hearing something like that about my own sister. It would be a wound that would never fully heal. Sadly, incidents like this cast a shadow on the hardworking officers who go out there day in and day out, striving to uphold their duty with every last bit of integrity. I want to say something profound, something that could ease the pain, but the truth is I don't know what to say, Seattle. I'm sorry, just doesn't seem to cut it. Know that I share your grief and your anger. Jahani's life matters. Her memory deserves justice, compassion, and commitment to ensure such tragedies never happen again. Oh. So Jamie, oh, and thanks, Jessica. Um, and, and look, it's Jessica hinted that cops have dark humor. I mean, we deal with uh, tragedy, um, uh, some of it uh, just horrific. And, and uh, it's not necessarily um, death and dying. We see a lot of that. And, and you, you, get, you get very used to it to where it doesn't really even, hardly even affect you. But sometimes it, it's, not, it's, not, it's the way that they die that, that, that really um, can cause you, know, you to come up with weird ways, even if you're a mortician, to deal with all this stuff. And, 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 and Jamie, I always thought that our sense of humor was sick until I started hanging around with coroners and morticians. I oh. thought, wow, that made me feel better about my sense of humor and some of, and some of the jokes that I make, you know. But uh, this, is a, this is something that was in a private setting. The police car or cop um, was, um, was talking on a cell phone, uh, presumably to another police officer in reference to um, this tragedy that happened that he was not even involved in. He was doing commentary on it. Um, unbeknownst to him until after he said it, you know, um, that it was, it was being recorded on the body cam. Um, when someone was reviewing the body cam later on, apparently they became aware of it, left staff. know they did an, uh, an internal investigation, which is still, according to the article, still going on. Your thoughts, Jamie? Wait, can well, I just add one thing before you talk, Jamie? Absolutely. Sure. Um, kudos to that chain of command who did that investigation, discovered it and passed it up. I just want to give props where it's due and um so because that and doesn't always happen there's a there's a good possibility that that was located because there's a civil lawsuit that's going to come down the pipe and they're looking at all of the information that's going to be discoverable in that event so it's a double-edged sword here we've got some very dark statements made by an officer in the privacy of his own vehicle the the opposite side of that is that it's no longer in the privacy of his vehicle. And it's, it is now in terms of transparency available to the world. And I'm not saying I condone in any way, shape or form the, uh, the statements made by that officer. Um, the biggest problem with this whole thing is now outside of the fact, and, and I don't know this cop, I don't know him, I don't know his background and I'm not interested in knowing any of that. I'm not conducting an investigation. The accident is one thing. The accident appears to be getting all of the attention that it needs, and that's one whole complete component. This ancillary uh, component of this event, um, that video came up and was made uh, visible to the public 
because it was located for some reason. And normally, unless there's a lawsuit coming down the pipe and all of this is complete assumption at this point on my part, but uh, there wouldn't be a lot of investigation uh, north or south of that event where this information was found. So they're looking at it for a reason. That information is going to wildly affect the outcome of any lawsuit. And I think that needs to be considered by officers. The words you say, whether you're on a scene or off a scene, they've got a price tag on them. Be aware, be professional, try to maintain the, the oath that you've taken to protect the public because the words that you say can have an effect on how that's perceived. Thanks, Jamie. Hey, commercial break, guys. We'll be right back. All right, guys, you know, Motion DSP, they've been supporting the law enforcement profession for over 15 years for the robust speed of video and audio redaction and enhancement software. The Motion DSP software is easy to use, requires no specialized training or expertise, and you can save valuable time with Spotlight's one-click automating tracking feature and forensic suite of enhancement filters to achieve results quickly in just three steps, import, process, and export. Now, Spotlight is built specifically for redaction, designed to work with video from any camera source, and using Motion DSP's algorithms and object tracking technology, it automates the process of blurring faces and other identifiable information, and it saves users countless hours compared to manual frame-by-frame -frame redaction and forensic enhancement software that allows users to quickly process and analyze any video file format using patented super resolution algorithms and enhancement filters to reveal an unseen level of detail. And you can actually get forensically valid evidence from just low quality video in minutes instead of hours. So you can learn more about all these products and all these capabilities by simply going to motiondsp.com, motiondsp.com. Let's talk about Medicare insurance options. There's over 80 options in just Hillsborough County alone. Now, the benefits can change annually. So how do you know that you're getting the benefits for your specific health care needs? The answer is simple. Contact MyMedicare.Live or call area code 813-245-6656, especially if you're in the Tampa Bay area. Talk to James or Bobby. Meet with them in person. They'll save you money on your medication co-pays. Find plans that your doctors accept and get more of the benefits that you qualify for. So again, MyMedicare.Live. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. And yes, we're still live in the Boss Talk Radio Studios in Plant City, Florida. You know, we're talking about this uh, Seattle cop that had an open mic. Uh, but before we go back to that, I just want to mention again that we are doing the $50 Gauls gift card giveaway today. All you have to do if you're watching on the stream, type in the word Gauls, G-A-L-L-S, and I'll run the contest. Software will pick out one of those. You don't get credit for typing it more than once, so just type in goals one time, and we'll run it before the show's over. And I'm sure everybody here will remind me to do that, so I don't forget like I did yesterday. And, uh, and hey, only for people who have not won the contest this month, which is September. So that said, um, you know, I know before the show started, we were talking about this incident. My last six years with the Tampa Police Department, I worked with the uh, PBA, the Police Benevolent Association. So it was the union, um, and I helped cops out that got themselves in a jam by doing stupid stuff like this. Um, we've all, and I don't mean just cops, um, everybody listening to the show has done stupid stuff. You, you guys have said stupid things that get you, you know, in the grease if other people became aware of it. I mean, that's just gotta be fact. Hopefully everybody listening to the show realizes that I'm not giving the cop a blind pass. I am just saying that I, I want to point out that it was something that before body cams came out, it would have been something that would have been in the privacy of his car and the, only between him and the person on the cell phone. So unless someone, you know, was intercepting you know, the oral communication on that cell phone, nobody would be the wiser, right? So we were talking about, I know there's going to be a movement, I suspect, to fire this guy to let him go. And that might actually happen. And I would suspect and predict he would probably get his job back, even even in a, a locale in Seattle and Washington State, as, uh, as, as liberal as they are over there. That said, 
what would you, you know, I've seen guys, I've seen cops charged with all kinds of stuff. I've worked on exit strategies for them to get them out and retain their credentials, you know, retirement, you know, uh, in lieu of being fired, um, their employment credentials, their certifications from the states so they go somewhere else to get a job, all this stuff. So I, we, I was just thinking what, and we talked about for the show, what would they charge this guy with that would qualify uh, to fire him? And the only thing I can think of is like conduct on becoming a police officer. I mean, I don't have access to their SOP, standard operating procedures or main regulations, but it was something he didn't, it wasn't courtesy of the public. It wasn't talking to the public. It was a, a statement made between him and another guy on his cell phone that just happened to be picked up by body cam. So, um, but as the chief wearing that hat, uh, we know that sometimes you have to let people go knowing that full well, they may be able to fight and get their job back. But, you know, you represent the agency. You got to do which, but in the best interest of the agency and the public you represent. So I'm just throwing that all out there. I don't know if there's any more commentary on, on this or not, but I, um, it, it is something that normally would be private that got publicly released. I think producer Jimmy has a uh, point here. Always, always, always treat a microphone like it's open. Even if you absolutely positively are 100% sure it isn't, always treat a microphone like it's on, no matter what. Yeah. Not bad advice. All right. So if, uh, if there's nothing further, um, we'll go on and guys, we got some great stories with video components. So let's, uh, let's move on. Yeah. We've, uh, devoted, uh, 20, almost, almost 25 minutes of the show to that Seattle topic. So thanks Jessica and, and uh, Jamie for weighing in on that. So moving along, yes, we've got a couple, uh, stories that video components and look, it's hard to find a good news story today that does not have a video component. And I understand that there's a lot of people that are listening to the show just audibly, you know, podcast radio. So for those people, we're going to describe in great detail what's going on so that you don't feel like you're missing out on anything. So, and even for the people in the studio, I'll describe in great detail for you what's going on. So, so, uh, the title of this next one is rumble.com. It's, uh, our favorite law enforcement video channel called this is butter. New York AG. So the attorney general released a, a surveillance footage of a deputy involved shooting, which left two teens dead. So listen to this. The so New York attorney general's office, they have released the camera footage of the deputy involved shooting, which left two teenagers dead. It happened last week in Syracuse. So 17 year old dial Appet and 15 year old Luth Moe. They're both killed September the 6th uh, by um, Onondaga uh, County Sheriff's office, deputy John Rosello. And uh, de the deputy responded to a 911 call about a suspicious scene. Uh, the caller reported that there were multiple males wearing dark clothing near the Midler Meadows trailer park. Now, that's already a flag, right? We're next to that uh, Midler Meadows trailer park. And they're moving items from one vehicle to the other. They're moving uh, items from a sedan into a van. Okay, so I admit, that's another red flag. So upon arrival, the deputy notes that one of the vehicles, it's the white Hyundai sedan, it matches the description of a vehicle that was stolen the night before in Syracuse. So as the deputy, his name is Rosello, approaches the scene, the deputy reports that one of the two vehicles allegedly tries to run him over, prompting him to fire three shots into the vehicle. Now, it doesn't exactly go down that quick, uh, but let me continue here. Deputy Rosello had a body cam, uh, body-worn camera on his person, and uh, he did not have it turned on, though. The sheriff's office said that, uh, they relied on surveillance video from a neighbor's, uh, you know, surveillance cam in order to record the incident. And it was actually fairly good video coverage. After the shooting, the vehicle made it nearly two miles where Mo and Appet were found. Uh, there was also a third person in the vehicle who remains unaccounted for, along with the other vehicle and three other suspects. And according to the source close to the investigation, neither Mo or Appet were driving the vehicles. So the two guys that were killed in there were not driving. The driver actually escaped and has not been found. 
Now, what it doesn't say in the article, but what I'll tell you after watching the video is that when the cop pulls up, knowing that they're transferring, yeah, when he gets there, sure enough, they're transferring stuff from the sedan into the van. Van takes off. It bamooses, and I guess, according to this article, there were three people in there that they don't know anything about, but which leaves three people in the sedan that ended up staying. He does, and he goes up and he taps the front end of that sedan, um, and then he gets out and confronts them at gunpoint. But what the sedan does it actually backs up into, um, it was a wooded area, but he had enough room to back up and push up against a bush, which gave him enough room to to um, get out from touching the front bumper of the cruiser and to go around the cruiser and to drive away. And so that's when this thing goes down. I'll let Jamie or Jessica describe the details of what happened after that, but that's the scene when he gets there, the van flees, white vehicle that gets him out at gunpoint. He uh, he boxes it in, or so he thinks, and uh, and and. There, there you go. So uh, with that said, guys, commentary on this. Whoever wants to start off first. Oh, is that music I hear? And, and Jamie's point at Jessica anyhow. So look, producer Jimmy always waits till I get ready to get to a good story. And then he starts the music and we have to do our commercial break. So look, let's do our second commercial break. When we come back, we'll let these guys duke it out of who's going to go first. We'll be right back. All right, guys, it's time to talk about Galls at Galls.com slash Leo. And yes, during the show, we're having a, a free $50 Galls gift card giveaway. But certainly by now, if you've been watching the show for any amount of time, you're aware of the new Galls. And yes, it is, again, Galls.com slash Leo, the country's leading uniform clothing equipment and gear provider for law enforcement. They have a variety of offerings, everything from multi-tools and flashlights to duty boots and tactical gear. And as our panelist, Captain Brett Bartlett, always says, they pretty much have everything for law enforcement except for guns and ammo. So, uh, so look, galls.com slash Leo. If you have a friend, family, uh, you know, loved one that wears the uniform, uh, wears the badge, uh, everything on their duty belt, including the duty belt, uh, does come from Galls and probably did come from Galls. So go to galls.com slash Leo, and they have gift cards as well. Of course, we're getting ready to give away a free $50 one. And also their uniform program is second to none. My former agency has a Galls uniform office on the second floor lobby, Tampa Police Department, and they're absolutely killing it. So galls.com slash Leo. Please check them out, guys. Now, that brings us to our newest sponsor, which is Global Ordnance at GlobalOrdnance.com, your ultimate destination for ammunition. So, so get ready for a coupon code from Global Ordnance, and they provide high-quality ammunition for all of your shooting needs, ensuring precision, reliability, and unmatched performance. So the coupon code just happens to be Leo Roundtable. And for a limited time, they're offering free shipping on all ammo orders over $200. So go to GlobalOrdnance.com today. Explore the wide selection of ammo. Use coupon code Leo Roundtable for free shipping on your order of over $200. Again, GlobalOrdnance.com, coupon code Leo Roundtable. Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. Yes, we're live from the Boss Hog Radio Studios in Plant City, Florida. So um, I know we just finished talking about our, our, our latest video. So uh, guys, can't wait for you guys to break it down. We got a cop showing up, two vehicles moving uh, stuff from one uh, vehicle to the next. The van takes off. The white sedan stays Cop uh, pushes up, boxes them in, gets out at gunpoint. They uh, they back up into the uh, into the brush and take off, and uh, and there's a officer involved shooting. So I don't have any open mics yet, so I can break this down if I need to. But go ahead, Jamie. Yeah. So <clears throat> we've had multiple videos since I've been a panelist on this show where officers have fired at or into moving vehicles. Some of them are questionable. We had the the parking lot where. Uh, this suspect had supposedly stolen alcohol and an officer maneuvers in front of the vehicle. And, and so these cases are so unique and individual and, and they've got individual components in and of themselves. And the problem is, is that they're all viewed through the same lens, that there's a moving vehicle and that the officer potentially placed themselves in harm's way. 
<clears throat> so one of the things I wanted to bring up in this, and you made a statement when you were explaining what happened, that it didn't all happen that fast. It, and and I, you weren't talking about the actual moment that force was used. But the reality is, is what we see on video doesn't reflect the the magnificent time constraints that the officers are under when they're engaged in a scenario like that. There's obviously a call that brought this officer there. His uh, his observations at that time are clearly uh, clearly criminal behavior going on. He recognizes a stolen vehicle. He boxes the suspect in to prevent them from attempting to escape, gets out of his vehicle, at, and and has them at gunpoint, which is is completely legitimate based on the potential felony that he's dealing with here and the and the number of people. The vehicle then backs into the wooded area. You can see the trees literally being knocked over. Imagine what that is appearing and sounding like to the officer in the moment that he's got these individuals at gunpoint. Imagine the sound of that vehicle revving, hitting and striking that tree, cranking the wheel and then accelerating, not toward, he never placed himself in front of that vehicle. He exited his vehicle, was outside of his vehicle, off to the right-hand or passenger side of that vehicle at the time that it purposefully and deliberately turned towards him and under the constraints of time where he had nowhere to go, he fired shots. So it's a very different environment, and it does happen in very, very small increments of time. The whole breakdown of this case, and it's a funky uh, uh, variable frame rate. I think it's showing information at about nine frames per second, but it's still variable. So we're not able to get an exact timing on that. I did a, a light analysis on that video. But what I do know is the entire event took around five and a half seconds from the time he's climbing out of his vehicle until the vehicle is careening past him when shots are fired. Imagine five and a half seconds. It's not a long time. That's a, a very small increment of time. Now when we start to compartmentalize the decision points within that five and a half seconds, we've got some very serious micro timeline issues going on where the officer is in a place where he literally has no place to go. And being inside of his vehicle where they're going to claim he would have been safe, we're, officers are never trained to stay inside of their vehicle when they're approaching criminal behavior because that becomes the target. That's where shots are fired. That's where officers are, are targeted inside of their vehicle. They are trained to get out and move to contact. That officer did exactly that. But the point, I, and I'll make this point over and over to your listeners, Chip, that we are operating under the constraints of time, and there is probably no less than five to six decision points that are happening in that environment where that officer is processing, observing, orienting, making sense of, deciding, and then acting to save his own life in those moments. So it's very time compressed, very time constrained. The investigation has yet to happen. I have no right or wrong answer. I just know that this was a pristine example of an officer operating under the constraints of time where substantial bodily harm or death were consequences. So let's go ahead and can we, we, can, can we agree that the officer was not in the pathway of the vehicle when it, when it fled? I mean, correct? Well, it, it's it's hard to say. He eventually got out of the pathway of the vehicle when it fled, but the two-dimensional components of video 
there's there's certain assumptions that are being made, but we don't have depth of perception. I don't know exactly right. where he was standing when that vehicle started to flee. I know by the time he got out of his vehicle, that vehicle was turning towards him. Now, remember, it, it takes longer to move right or left six feet than it takes for that car to accelerate into you. So there's no way of knowing how close that vehicle was to him or if he was in the pathway at the moment that the vehicle started to move, remembering that things are happening happening in perpetuity. The dynamic interaction between the officer and that vehicle are in a continuum. They're constantly moving and changing. So the officer has fired the neuromuscular motor impulse, the decision to pull the trigger. By the time he pulls the trigger, the dynamics have changed, and he's now potentially out of the way as we see he doesn't get right. hit. So, yeah, there's a lot well, to consider there, Chip. So, well, and I wasn't, I wasn't going where maybe you thought I was going to go. I wasn't, I wasn't, I mean, I'm just bringing up the fact that I, I, we know that there's going to be, um, questions about the shooting and, 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 and the body, we didn't have, we don't have the luxury of having a body cam. We have a surveillance video that's being taken from quite a distance away. So when you bring up, it's hard, the perception, you're, you're, you're right. It's really hard to tell, um, it, you can't even really tell when the gun's going off. I mean, at least I, I had a great difficulty. I knew when the, sh I, I, I read that the shots were fired. I know when they must have happened around what time frame, but I couldn't really tell when they were being fired. Um, but I, I just, I say all that to say this is that it doesn't really matter what we think as observing this is what's, it's what was perceived by the officer. And as long as it's reasonable, another officer in the same exact situation would perceive it the way that he did. It, 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 it's all, it's all good. If his actions were reasonable, I mean, correct. Well, yeah, the determination is going to be made by a jury if his, if his decisions were reasonable, and that's where right. we run into the sticking point. And the reason that I, I brought up that point that I did, Chip, is for this, is, is that the officer may have been directly in front of that vehicle at the time he made the decision to shoot. But it's very clear that he wasn't in front of the vehicle as the vehicle right. passed by. That's going to be the issue of fact that gets brought into court, right? So, yeah, yeah and, and we can't tell from this distance. That's going to take a very deep analysis. The reason you don't see the weapon going off is because of the interval samples of the camera. It, it may not be, it may not have a, a, even been picked up by the sensors of that camera. It may have, but that takes, a, again, that takes a very deep analysis. There's more missing information in that video than there is existing information. And uh, the human reviewer, the, the person viewing that video, does not consider the missing data. They only consider what they see. And that's the problem with interpreting video in this, uh, of this nature. It's split second. There's a dynamic interactions. Decisions are not automatic and instant. They are observed, oriented. The, action, the decision is made and the action takes place. That takes time. And that's time that, that you and I aren't, con we're, we're not really balancing that out with what we see in the video, if that makes sense. Yeah, so it, so it doesn't look good, but it's not clear cut. You know, it's, you know those, those two, uh, two takeaways I have from it. Well, and, and here's the thing. Does it ever look good when an officer's using no. deadly force? It's not ever a ballet, right? Any it's force. always bad. Any, right. any, unless, unless occasionally I'll think that a taser faceplant looks good, to be honest with you. But besides that, and I'm, being, I, I'm having a little humor injection <laughs> there, but besides that, no, use of force almost never looks good.
Yeah. It doesn't look good. And, and I'll tell you, from my perspective, as an expert looking at these use of force cases over and over, I literally have to, part of my navigation process is to watch that video and let it have the emotional conductivity that I know it's going to have on the rest of the uh, society that's looking at it and reviewing it. I have to know how it's going to make people feel. I'm a human being. I feel those feelings, but then I have to navigate them and get down to the clear cut factual components in analysis of that video and then review an examination of that video once I know what I'm looking at. Only then can I know what I'm looking for. So those are two of the biggest components that I that I teach in my forensic video review and examination course. And I would employ the public to to really consider that when they're watching these videos. It never looks good, but that is not an indicator of reasonableness in the use of force. So those are the considerations. Hey, Jimmy, while we're on the topic, tell people about you, Critical Incident Review, and how they can find you. So criticalincidentreview.com, all the information is there. What the primary functionality of that website is to expose individuals to the trainings that we have across the country. Uh, we have a forensic video review and examination course that talks about this type of case exactly, and an enhanced uh, force investigations course that really allows investigators to uh, view these cases through a different lens and and allow them to navigate their own biases, navigate the scrutiny that is happening internally and externally, and and doing a complete investigation, complete data set research, so that decision makers are making educated decisions in these use of force cases. That's the trouble we're in in this nation, and that's the the problem that I address. So thank you, and guys. Make sure you pick up on that criticalincidentreview.com. And there goes producer Jimmy again with that music. I'll have a talk with Jimmy after the show. What's good we get music. going? Yeah, yeah. I mean, how can we get anything going here, Jimmy, with you with these commercials? But hey, it's time for our, I think it's our last commercial break. And yeah, we need to do the uh, Gauls uh, contest when we come back. But stick with this commercial break. We'll be right back. Right? You know, no matter how much you know about guns and ammunition, there's that knowledge gap that leaves you confused and missing the complete picture. GunLearn.com, they've taken the confusion out of learning and they've made it easy. GunLearn.com is the first and it's the only company that offer a step-by-step -step program that takes you from your present knowledge level to become a safe, competent, and accurate certified firearm specialist. Now, they provide citations from federal law and ATF rulings for every point taught to ensure accuracy. And their training is approved by major forensic organizations, law enforcement agencies, and firearm manufacturers. Since 1996, they've taught everything that Leos, that's law enforcement officers, need to know about firearms and ammunition to all facets of law enforcement. Now, you can start today with online training, or you can register to attend a live seminar, and you can actually get free training for yourself and the personnel of your agency by hosting a seminar at no cost. So come aboard as one of the most firearm knowledgeable people in the world by joining the folks at GunLearn.com. If you haven't been there before, do it today, GunLearn.com. Com. You'll be glad that you did. All right, guys, welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. Still live from the Boss Talk Radio Studios in Plant City, Florida. We're going to be jumping to our next story that also has a video component. So, yes, we'll be describing in great detail what's going on for our audio listeners. And look, when we uh, right after this next story, we're going to be doing the Gauls gift card giveaway. So if you have not typed in the word Gauls, G-A-L-L-S, if you haven't done that yet, please do it. After the story, we're going to do it. Uh, and uh, it's for all of our um, streamers that are watching the show. So thanks in advance. So, hey, this last story, uh, or I should say this next one, we still might have room for another one. Back at Rumble.com, our favorite law enforcement video channel called This Is Butter, Mesa Police released a body cam of Michael Medina, who's running away and died when he ended up being pushed down. Near Medina. What? <laughs> Mesa Police, stop! Hands out the door! Hands out the door! Multiple commands were given from officers 
and Medina again exited the vehicle, this time with a backpack on. He's about to run. Face away! Officers gave him instructions to surrender, but he failed to comply. Medina began shifting his weight around and looking in all different directions, and then he took off running. As he began running, a detective deployed two beanbag rounds, another detective fired more pepper ball rounds, and a third officer used his taser in an attempt to stop Medina and get him into custody. Medina continued to run across Mesa Drive with detectives chasing behind him. As a detective caught up to Medina, he reached out to push Medina off balance. Medina lost his footing and collided into a block. So Mesa Police Department investigating the death of Michael Medina, 33 years old, a suspect who was wanted on charges that included burglary, criminal trespass, and resisting arrest. So he's a bona fide bad guy. Police have been looking for Medina since June the 22nd, found him on July the 17th in a vehicle and made a traffic stop. Medina ran from the vehicle and officers gave chase. What the article does not say is after they loaded him up with just a relentless amount of pepper balls. And I think there was other non-lethal. In fact, they had so many non-lethals going, I couldn't even count. Uh, one officer caught up and made contact with Medina while he's running away on foot. And the officer, they say, causes him to fall forward. Like, I love the way they write these things, Jamie. This cop, you know, well, look, when you're chasing a dude, there's different ways and tactics to take someone down, but knocking them off balance or using the, their momentum against them by just pushing them is, is a great option. Um, and, and it helps protect the guy instead of you having to tackle and go down with him. Um, so that's what the cop did. The cop, you know, pushes him. So um, anyhow, causes him to fall forward. He pushes him where he becomes unconscious and unresponsive after being taken into custody. Another thing the article doesn't say is, is that his head hits a concrete wall. It's a low, it's a low wall, but his head ends up hitting it after he falls and kind of starts sliding on the ground, head hits the wall. Officers attempted life-saving measures with uh, Mesa fire and medical arrive. He's taken to the hospital where he's pronounced dead. He never, you know, he never, never came to and survived that fall. So that's what we have. Um, Jamie, you want to start us off? Sure. And a tragic incident and unfortunate for certain. The The one thing um, that I noticed, the very first thing I noticed is that one of the officers that was engaging in the pursuit almost got shot in the back with a taser. Um, I saw that. I yeah. saw that. I was waiting for the prongs to come in the back of his head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And oh. and there's some distortions going on with that fisheye lens, but it, and it, so it looked, oh. certainly looked worse than it probably was in, in real life. But I, I saw that happen. I'm like, oh, yikes. He's just about to take his partner down. They, uh, th as you said, and I think you nailed it, they were relentless with the application of less lethal implements. They had a less lethal beanbag. They had pepper balls. And, and they, uh, I don't even know that I didn't see lethal Coverage. I haven't had the time to do a full, a full run on this. But I think somebody on the other side of the car had lethal coverage just in case. But the the bottom line on this is this is an event where officers did everything they could do to keep the level of force below deadly force, and the outcome ended up being uh, the outcome itself ended up being tragic. But how many times? And this is the way I look at these cases. It's not the officer's tactics that necessarily ended up in this undesirable outcome. The officers have used these same tactics a thousand times before, and they were successful. Pushing a subject down when they're running uh, from the police officer is a way to stop them from running and, and is normally a very effective tactic and has been a number of times before for every one of those cops, I'm sure, as it was for myself and, and both of you. The problem is the outcome 
is undesirable. And it's that one in a million outcome. The problem that we're going to run into in law enforcement is that that's where the investigation now begins. It begins in that in that outcome based component and it works backwards to blame. And that's not that's not how these investigations should occur. It's not about placing blame. It's about discovering what occurred and what was reasonable in that incident. So um, the climate of law enforcement right now, those those investigations are concerning to me. And and I'm when I see cases like this, even though it's tragic, the officers use the same tactics that they've used a number of times before. So that's kind of where I stand on that. There was a lot of dynamic issues happening there, too, that are going to require a, a very deep analysis on that video. All right. Thanks. Good points. Jessica. Uh, no, Chip, my mic is not broken. <laughs> um, <laughs> I agree with everything that Jamie just said. Um, this is the officer's you know, did everything right, it appears, from the get-go with all their less lethal. And these are, this was L.A., correct? I think so. No, no, it's Maricopa no. County. Oh, okay. Regardless, I can't imagine that they didn't have lethal cover when they, you know, had all their less lethal. It's an unfortunate accident. And the outcome is awful. And it's tragic, but it and, does and, appear to be an accident. And, and so here's the thing that I think is going to be the biggest issue, Jessica, is that the accident aspect of it was caused by an officer's actions. So it's a deliberate push, which the, you know, the, the, the commentary on this or the narrative is going to be that the officer deliberately pushed this person, which resulted in a tragedy. Uh, the death of a, of an individual, and they're going to tie it back to, to that action. And and again, that action is a tactic. That wasn't a malevolent decision. It is a viable use of force tactic at the intermediate level. It if even uh, if if even at the intermediate level, I mean, you could almost qualify that as, you know, level one force or de minimis, depending. Sure. Um, depending. The problem is, and, and you know as well as I do, and Chip, you know this too, is that they're going to focus on the outcome. Yeah. And there's an author that I read, and, and I, I live in this guy's work. He's a, a human factors researcher by the name of Sidney Decker. And he talks about the investigative of human error, right? And and how these investigations are are conducted. And as soon as you find the outcome and start to look for a place to place the blame on that outcome, you've taken that investigation down a pathway that is not going to be objective because you have an agenda for the investigation. Let's gather all the data. That doesn't mean it isn't going to be negligent in some cases. It doesn't mean that it's going to excuse behavior, but it does mean that we are going to look at it through the lens that's required to maintain objectivity in these investigations for officers that, in my opinion, from just the very brief analysis I did, did everything they could do to maintain a lower level of force. And uh, the unfortunate outcome is what it was, but that's where that, for that focus of, uh, of the energy is going to be in this investigation. And it, that's why I come in as an expert to outline that. I've handled many cases for Maricopa County for the AG's office there in these exact cases so this is a case that's going to require a lot of attention now not to be too morbid but i don't have a lot of sympathy for the bad guy because all he had to do was comply 
obey the orders from a from a law enforcement officer, the lawful order, and this whole thing could have been avoided. Um, I don't think there needs to be additional training for the cop. It's one of those unfortunate things because how many times could this have happened with all the bad guys that we've taken down? It's just one of those freak accidents, and I and it was definitely an accident. Um, and, and look, human life is very valuable, but it's still a bad guy doing bad things, not complying with law enforcement that's going to go on and create more crimes and do the same thing again. So um, it's unfortunate, uh, but uh, if it's going to happen, I'd rather happen to a bad guy than someone that's being compliant, and it, and it normally will. Um, look, that said, um, we got about a minute left, so let me go ahead and let's do this Gulls gift card giveaway uh, before I forget to do that again. So let's go ahead and do that. And let's uh, let's run this contest and let's see uh, who we're going to be giving uh, the card away to. So do we only do we not have enough entries on this thing yet? I'm not showing enough entries in here to run this contest, guys. So uh, let's see what we got here. Nope, I don't have enough, guys. So I didn't have enough people enter to even run it. I know, I know. So what are you going to do? So guys, uh, apparently our audience watching today's show did not type in the word "gauls" because we have to have enough. We have to have more people typing in that word to run the contest. So I can't even run it. Uh, final commentary in 27 seconds, Jamie, on this. Yeah, I, I again, it's. Um... I try to keep my opinions about individuals out of my analysis, and you're right. The the thing that I think is most focused here is that th this could have been avoided through compliance. So, yeah, ima imagine that. So, uh, well, another another good show, guys. Thanks, uh, Jamie and Jessica, uh, for being on the show. Uh, appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I usually take this time, and, of course, we've already talked about a critical incident review at criticalincidentreview.com. And, Jamie, that expertise level that you provide is just, uh, um, it, it's nice to have on the show, and, and it's compelling when you talk because you uh, you uh, you definitely back it up with facts. And uh, yeah, Thank and you. I appreciate that, Chip. And it's, it's nice to hear that. Um, and, uh, hey, uh, the Wounded Blue, the woundedblue.org, you know, Lieutenant Randy Sutton retired from Las Vegas Metro Police Department. He's a panelist on the show. He started the Wounded Blue, the woundedblue.org, helping cops out in the world of hurt that are suffering from things like PTSD and other medical issues that aren't necessarily covered by the department. And, and a lot of these guys are not even um, able to get disability retirements out. So the Wounded Blue at the woundedblue.org, uh, check out that charity worthy of your support. A shout out to our sponsors again, Motion DSP, Gulls, Global Ordinance.com, Gunler.com, on Medicare.live, Bang Energy. Thanks for the fuel. Brian Burns, Tampa Free Press at TampaFP.com. Thanks for the coverage. Ray Dietrich, RedVoiceMedia.com. Thanks for carrying our content. Hope everybody has a wonderful and a safe day. See you tomorrow.